We are a platform of a billion users. We are working 24-7-365 to make the platform as safe as it possibly can be, but we absolutely understand that there's no finish line and that sometimes we will make mistakes. Hello, welcome back to Interface. This is the podcast, especially for education professionals all about the digital world. If you're a teacher or an educator, we are here to help you support the children and young people around you so you can play a big part in keeping them safe, confident and happy in all that they do online. And for this, our second ever episode, we are taking teachers' thoughts and concerns straight to the very top at social media giant TikTok. I'm Alexandra and I am the Director of Safety Public Policy for Europe at TikTok. Alexandra Evans is going to be with us for the whole of this episode. I think, honestly, TikTok is probably the social media platform for for many people, children, students, the media, even some teachers as well, as you heard with Bobby Seagull last episode, uh, to be completely obsessing over. And it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. With over a billion users worldwide, most people know them. But for any of your listeners who don't know TikTok, it is a a user-generated content entertainment app where we have a brilliant community who makes uh, hilarious or educational or advocacy-based videos or music-based videos. So coming up, we've got a deep dive into important safety and well-being features on TikTok and particularly what those mean for younger children who may be using the service. We've also got ways to channel your students' obsessions with TikTok into something creative and maybe, just maybe, even getting into natural learning as well. Well, we'll do our best, right, Gareth? First, though, let's quickly reintroduce ourselves. So, yeah. Hi, my name is Gareth Court. I'm an online safety consultant for SWGFL. I'm also a qualified primary school teacher. My name is Jess McBeth. I'm also an online safety consultant, not a primary school teacher, though. You just get one of those. (laughs) We are both from Southwest Grid for Learning, right? And it's one charity amongst three that make together make up the amazing UK Safer Internet Centre. So alongside Childnet and the Internet Watch Foundation. And this Interface podcast series is part of that work. We cover all aspects of digital and online life for young people and children, particularly from the perspective of you, teachers and educators. There's a few episodes in your feed already, and we're going to be putting out new episodes every month. And we're joined in each of these episodes by one of four young adult co-hosts. Their names are Ailish, Bill, Morgan and Princess. We are going to meet them in various episodes across the series, but back for a second outing. We've got Princess Lawal. Princess, hello. Hi. Hello. Right, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, so I am a media student at Birmingham City University and I enjoy all things media, all things social. Sounds like you're a perfect fit then for this for this episode, Princess. And you're also with us with Bobby Seagull in episode one, talking about his use of social media. We're going to be talking to Alexandra Evans from TikTok, all about TikTok in this episode. But before we get into that, tell us a bit more about being social and using media. What what do you use? What are your favourite kind of things? So I have to say my favourite social media app at the moment is TikTok. That's handy. I absolutely love it. It gives us a space to, I don't know really how to explain it because obviously there's multiple social media platforms that you can use to kind of talk about yourself and, you know, give people a little insight into your world. But TikTok really has given people the peace just to be themselves you see a lot of things that you just wouldn't normally see on other social media platforms which I really like Instagram is also another platform that I do love to use so you like you like quite visual social media then I do think I'm more of like a video 
type of person. I just think it connects more with me than just seeing pictures, which sometimes, you know, they have the whole idolizing type of bodies and stuff like that that can really affect people's mental health and things like that. Whereas with videos, it's less kind of fake in a way. And we are actually going to talk a little bit about authenticity, aren't we, on today's one? But Gareth, see, before we get into that, we are here. We're not just chatting for the fun of it. We have got educators and teachers listening to us. So a question for everybody, actually, particularly for you, Princess, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think that teachers and educators need to understand about young people in social media? I think the main thing they need to understand is that social media is taken very seriously now. It's a platform that you can really use to connect to people and help them just like um, Bobby Siegel using it to connect to children and teach them I think that it's really really important that people learn how to use this app to their advantage because obviously we know there are disadvantages to social media you know safety wise however if people like teachers and guardians learn how to use it in the correct way or to their advantage it it really is an app that is life-changing honestly. Wow, that's quite an endorsement. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, I take that a step further, actually. I think it's really important for teachers to understand that things like TikTok and other social media aren't aren't a separate part of children and young people's lives. They are children and young people's lives. They're not even an extension of friendships and relationships. They are a fundamental part of their friendships and relationships. And I think I think that takes, for us us older people, that takes a little bit of uh, sort of mental pivoting to kind of get our heads around. But but it's really important because, you know, children and young people don't see it as being online and offline. It's just it's just their life. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I mean, we'll we'll hear lots of interesting stuff. Here. And I think the, the key point for me is to think about social media versus entertainment and what the influence is of all of these kind of apps on young people's lives. Okay, let's get this show on the road. Here comes our chat with TikTok Europe's Head of Safety, Alexandra Evans. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Nice to meet you all. So I joined TikTok in March 2020. I used to work for an NGO and I used to be a regulator before that. And I, to be honest, didn't have a huge amount of experience for TikTok. But now I think with over a billion users worldwide, most people know them. But for any of your listeners who don't know TikTok, it is a a user-generated content uh, entertainment app where we have a brilliant community who makes uh, hilarious or educational or uh, advocacy-based videos or music-based videos. And when you open the app, you'll land on something called our For You page. And that is essentially uh, a sort of stream of videos that are curated algorithmically to reflect your interests, but also to sort of pull you into content that you might not have already seen. Most of the moment, I'm seeing a huge amount of comedy and a lot of travel stuff because I'm about to go on holiday. So... Obviously, you said that you know lots of different people use use TikTok. Specifically, thinking about young people, can you think of any sort of standout young people who have been using using the app or specific things that they they like to create on the app? I mean, obviously, we have a very diverse range of creators, and they stretch from from teens all the way up to septuagenarians, octogenarians. I'm not sure what you call a nineties nano. I'm not sure. Nono? Is it nano? I think it's, I think it, it might be nono. I don't know. <laughs> But in terms of what young people, how they're using it, our accounts are default private for under 16s. So we're not sort of actively trying to encourage young people to be incredibly visible. What we're trying to do is, first of all, think of TikTok as a window. So 
it's a place where you can go and learn and understand different people's lived experiences. So I, for example, follow a brilliant couple in the UK who are same sex trying for a baby and they're just very joyfully describing their experience. Um, we also have a creator who describes to people about how to interact with people who are blind. We as Brits tend to just recoil from embarrassing or putting the person in an uncomfortable position and actually just a few helpful tips is really useful. So so there is that window element as to how young people are using it and education on TikTok is, is, a, is, a, is a key part of that. But also in terms of the creativity, my favourite thing is when my kids, I've got a 15 and an 18 year old, actually she's 19 now, a 10 year old who's not on TikTok yet. But when the 15 year old will sort of have in her drafts quite a lot of content that she's created that's funny or whatever that she's just you know, either not sharing with anybody or is just sharing with her small group of friends. So it's not really about becoming TikTok famous for young people. It's just about exploring who you are. I think this thing about authenticity that you've mentioned there is absolutely fascinating because it's almost like what's more successful on TikTok is the less, you know, the less polished you are, the more successful. I think that you're absolutely right that authenticity is is the secret sauce. Some people say it's the brilliant of our algo and of course that is fantastic and I'm always interested to see where it takes me. When she says algo she means algorithm. It's a shorthand she uses a couple of times in this chat so I just thought we should flag that. You know I can't speak for other platforms but yeah I find it more relaxing to watch TikTok honestly because it's more likely that it's going to be relatable, it's going to be just less that's exhausting, actually, if, if I'm honest. You know, like sometimes I love to go out and I love to put on my heels. Actually, that's the life. I haven't put on a pair of high heels since March 2020 and it's been bliss. But I can't wear them anymore, right? Exactly. <laughs> Is it like my feet. That's right, Alexandra. I haven't put on high heels in ages either. <laughs> Fair enough, Gareth. They really do pinch and, you know, you get to a certain age. But um, like putting on makeup, going out and looking fabulous is wonderful. But I think that I'm more of a TikTok girl because I just want to be able to be me. And maybe, again, it's a certain age thing. But I also got kids and I think they're fantastically honest in the way that they represent themselves on TikTok. And it just must be more relaxing for them. And I hope, I really, really hope that TikTok gives young people a sense that whoever they are, whatever size, whatever shape, whatever colour, ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, you are yourself and that is not just enough it's fabulous and to be celebrated what is it about the app that like what do you think makes it comfortable for people because I find myself when I first got TikTok I just found myself more comfortable on it I have Snapchat as well and even though like on Snapchat I had like a private with literally just my friends the way that I posted on TikTok was completely different to the way that I posted on Snapchat even though it was my close friends and I don't really know what it is about the app that just kind of makes you feel more comfortable I don't know if it's just like other people that are also posting and like you said being more authentic and more comfortable with themselves or what do you actually think about that makes it for people to be like that it's a great question I think there are two elements the first is this point that you raised just about it being an entertainment platform rather than a social platform and the second is safety so starting with social like when you princess are posting to your friends often you'll have like different accounts and you might have different privacy settings you'll make some decisions about who you're posting to and who you feel comfortable sharing that moment with so 
most curated moments are likely to be the ones that you share more widely and then you'll have sort of more authentic moments that you're sharing within your group and that that makes complete sense to me I mean that's just how life works right you know you have different levels of trust and and you know feeling less or more exposed with different groups within your world but TikTok is actually based on entertainment and about content so you Gareth may have a group of friends who are on TikTok but you may never your worlds may never collide because actually what you're doing on TikTok is uh, sharing your content with people who have your interests and also seeing content from people who have that interest too so that might not be your friend group that might be I think another reason why I find it quite relaxing because I there is no like need to approve or to validate my friendships you know postings or whatever I can just be on my own quite sort of solitary but very happy journey when like nobody is watching me and I'm not having to sort of do the social reciprocity that I sometimes like can be quite a high pressure especially for young people so I think that's a really important point it's just a sort of it's a bit of escapism the other reason I think why you probably feel more comfortable on TikTok is because of our safety strategy so if you think about like trying to be honest and to be authentic it's really blooming hard to do that if you feel unsafe. For us, safety is sort of a foundational sort of, obviously we're mission-led in relation to safety, but there's a strategic element to it as well. We have to make sure that people feel like they can be authentic. And sometimes that means sharing difficult truths. Sometimes it means sharing a skill that you've been honing, like you've been dancing and you've been practicing it for weeks and weeks, and then you're ready to share that moment. So we need to know that that environment for our young people and for all of our users is one where they feel safe. So we do that in various ways. You know, we have a trust and safety team set across different global hubs, one in Singapore, one in Dublin, and one in the Bay. The reason why we do that is so that we can follow the sun. So Singapore hands over to Dublin, Dublin to the Bay and, and, and back again. So we're using machine technology to get the kind of scale that you need when you've got a billion users, as well as, as I say, a group of really expert people against each of the subject areas that we consider um, violative themes is what we use for jargon. So that would be something like hate speech, all the issues around minor safety, violent extremism, etc. But then also we've got a lot of privacy setting strategies that enable people to make decisions about how they're sharing. So, for example, let's say I make a video that's really personal to me and I feel particularly vulnerable in that moment. I could, for example, choose to limit comments to just my friends. And in fact, again, for under 16s, even if you move away from a default private account, you can't change your who can comment on my video setting beyond friends. So, again, it's just about trying to be Sort of thoughtful around developmental capacity and what it means to be a younger person on our platform and what sort of additional support you might need. So there are so many different ways that our safety strategy manifests, but I do think it's a critical sort of, as I say, foundational aspect to being your authentic self. Thanks for taking the time to explain that, Alexandra. That's really helpful. And it's great to hear all the all the different tools that are available for, for all users, but especially young people. I just wanted to come back to the point about young people using it and and we here Jess and I work in schools a lot and work with young people a lot and we're hearing from teachers that that younger and younger children are creating TikTok accounts how do you manage that situation how do you support them when technically under terms and conditions and GDPR and copper and everything else they're not they're not supposed to be there in the first place how do you manage those kind of situations yeah so and and it's not just a, a legal technicality we at TikTok think really carefully about what is an age-appropriate experience. 
we divide it between early and late teens. So 13 to 15 year olds have one set of privacy settings and safety settings, 16 to 17 is another, 18 plus another. So it's not just about box ticking on GDPR. We are really, as I say, thoughtful about what is and isn't appropriate. So TikTok is a 13 plus app. It is entirely predictable that kids who are under 13 are going to want to be on TikTok because, of course, it's really cool and uh, it's really popular. And we know from developmental science that younger kids will want to emulate the behaviours of older kids. So in practical terms, that means that when I was uh, nine, I really wanted to watch a 12 movie. And when I was 12, I wanted to watch a 15. So we know that there will be younger users who will want to access our platform. And so we have a strategy that is called our age assurance strategy that has two sort of key elements to it is one is prevention and one is detection. So the prevention aspect is trying to think about ways to create friction to stop young people from accessing our platform. A really good way and perhaps a tip for teachers to share with parents is there are parental settings on the app stores. So obviously every single app that your teen or your under 13 tries to access comes from either the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You can set the restrictions because TikTok has been given a 12 plus rating in 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 the Google Store, sorry, in the App Store and a parental guidance in the in the Google Store, which means that you can just simply restrict them from access from downloading it and no arguments sort of shuts down the conversation. We also have a self-declaration age gate where you have to put in your full date of birth. And if you're under 13, you get blocked from trying again straight away. But obviously we know that young people are still going to try and bypass those uh, mechanisms. So in terms of detection, we're using a wide range of signals to surface potentially underage accounts. And that could be everything from we have a dedicated user reporting button. So you can click and say, I suspect this user is underage. But we also have keyword signals. We're also relying on our moderators for referrals. And the outcome of that is that in the first three months of this year, we removed 20 million accounts. So I don't think that you should or teachers should assume that we're just taking a passive approach to this. We are applying a huge amount of operational resources to surfacing those accounts. I think that there is also a complexity to being a teacher or a parent at the moment, which is new in that we are all first generation digital parenting, digital teachers, and that is not a comfortable place to be. I just don't have that lived experience to draw on. I can't ask my mum what she did in that situation. And I think there is a sort of a reticence to expressing your personal family tolerances in group scenarios. And I often hear parents saying, well, so-and-so's got it. So, you know, that was like the floodgates. And I'm not sure that that necessarily applies across other aspects of your sort of offline parenting strategies. Like if my kids' friends come over for a sleepover and I might let them watch a film that, you know, they're a little bit too young to watch because I've read the guidance and I feel like it's okay. I will check with all the other parents and be like, is this okay with your boundaries? And if it's not, then that's absolutely fine. And I do think that we maybe as parents should feel more empowered to express our own tolerances when it comes to what we do and don't want for our kids in the digital environment. I think it's really hard, but I'm trying to actually role model it a bit in my own WhatsApp groups. I'm <laughs> just saying things like actually he doesn't watch, he doesn't do Fortnite or, you know, he's not on TikTok. Because then suddenly other people go, oh, actually, yeah, I'd quite like my kid not to do TikTok too. And like then you go, great, because it's a 13 plus app and that makes sense for all of us. And there's a bit of relief in that. So it's not easy, but, you know, 
irrespective of how I would love parents to feel empowered, I do think platforms have a huge responsibility to enforce their age restrictions. I think you've very well described the issue here, which is that you need holistic solutions, right? So there's so much chat, isn't there, about how tech companies need to do more and there's online safety buildings, all that stuff. And that's absolutely right, but it, it doesn't stop there. We can educate parents about, and there'll be plenty of people listening to podcasts that will agree with me, I'm sure. You can educate parents about all these things. But then as parents, we're going to make different decisions, right? These particular risks, well, they wouldn't happen to my child. So, you know, why would I put those particular age-gating things in place, for example. Why would I prevent my child accessing TikTok when everybody else is? You're going to get lots of children, but also facilitated by parents to work their way around that, right? There will be residual accounts of children on TikTok that you haven't prevented to get on there. You haven't detected that they're on there either. And they're still on there. I think the key thing that you've said is holistic. Like In the absence of a silver bullet, when we speak to young people and to parents about age assurance, they have a sort of similar approach to to us and actually to pieces of legislation like, for example, the Age Appropriate Design Code, where what they're saying is that they understand the complexity of balancing access, fairness. Kids really care about the fairness of whatever strategies we put in place, the need for safety, the need to enhance the ability to detect and remove underage users. But then when you get into the grey areas of how to balance those things and what is the right emphasis, the conversation becomes more diverse. And actually what's difficult is that the people who hold opinions on both sides hold them quite strongly. So for some people, sharing IDs and passports as a price of entry is, you know, very sensible and creates lots of certainty. On others, it's like, you know, are you kidding me? I'm never going to give my passport to a major platform. But also... We have pretty conservative rules about what we do and don't allow on platform. For example, if you look at our minor safety category in our community guidelines, we are really explicit about what we don't allow, including, for example, things around normalisation, about paedophilia, so jokes about that kind of topic are just a no-go area for our platform. And then in terms of some of the issues you talked about where a parent might not appreciate that these risks apply to their child, you know, someone else's child, but not mine. We take a safety by design approach so that, for example, our direct messaging service, which is the highest risk moment because it's private. So that makes it harder for us to uh, intervene from a moderation point of view. We have really limited it. So you don't you can't send attachments, uh, videos or, or um, uh, stills that are off platform and unmoderated via our private messaging service. You can't send unsolicited messages on our platform. So both sides have to have agreed to follow the other before you can do that. And as I said, for under 16s, you can't even send an unsolicited comment. Additionally, we you know have a different approach for young people and say screen time. So for screen time, we know that again, for parents and teachers, compulsive use of technology is another thing that plays on everyone's minds. For example, we have a dashboard that we've just recently launched that in fact, we co-created with young people. We asked them what they thought would be most helpful in giving them a sense of agency about their use of TikTok. And they said they really wanted a dashboard. So they wanted to know how much time they were spending each day of the week and also how much in the daytime and in the evening. And so we've responded to that and, and built that out. We also have the screen time limit around daily use, but also session duration. So we're really big proponents of mindful self-regulation. Self-regulation is hard for all of us, but particularly developmentally difficult for young people so how do we help them to become more thoughtful and mindful about how they're using it and again the young people said that they would really like to be able to make a declaration of sort of intention as they come on so you know that thing where you say oh, I was on TikTok for 15 minutes and then suddenly it was an hour later 
it's supposed to meet that particular issue. And, you know, knowledge is power. So that combination of knowing how much time you're spending and being able to be intentional about your daily and your session durations is really useful. And that's for all of our community. But for for young people, just to come back to sort of that sense of what it means to be young and learning some skills like self-regulation, we don't send notifications to early teens, that's 13 to 15 year olds after 9 p.m., and late teens after 10 p.m. because we know developmentally sleep is really important like that you cannot thrive physically mentally and emotionally and go through all of those complex changes that young people are uh, going through unless you get enough sleep to support that we want to make sure that we're not summoning kids back onto platform at a time when actually it's just not in their interest to be on TikTok and that they really should be fulfilling their developmental need for sleep. We are covering so much ground in this episode of Interface. Alexandra mentioned the age-appropriate design code a bit earlier. That's really interesting and worthwhile reading up on if you're interested in this kind of stuff. So we'll put a link to that and other useful resources in the episode show notes. This is Interface, a podcast for teachers about digital and online life from Southwest Grid for Learning. We'll be back with TikTok's Alexandra Evans very soon. The Interface podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life. And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is Posh, the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available, and it's free free is always good and you're right Jess it is a lot and I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this so don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are you can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk and you can also find us on twitter and instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official also we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the interface series that you'll find in your podcast player Thanks for sticking with us. This is Princess Deval with Jess Macbeth and Gareth Court, who are both online safety consultants. Time to get into the second half of this episode. We're with TikTok Europe's head of safety, Alexandra Evans. I guess the tricky part is that Obviously, for many children and young people using TikTok, it exists as part of a wider ecosystem of stuff that they use that, you know, they don't exclusively just use TikTok and nothing else online. On that note, then, because this podcast is is for educators, do you have any advice or kind of a suggested approach for for educators on how they can help their students to, to kind of really thrive on TikTok and other platforms? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say to teachers is thank you. I just... I'm in awe of anybody who takes on the challenge of supporting young people through their education. But, you know, from my own kids, I know so, so well how much work they do that's pastoral and how valued that is uh, for me as a parent. But I would say 
if it's hard enough being a digital parent first generation being a digital teacher first generation is is you know I don't know how their minds have not exploded with trying to navigate that particular environment and that particular challenge because I'm guessing I don't know for sure but I'm guessing that it wasn't really covered you know in great detail at teacher training school and also it's a complex one because what is happening is external relationships uh, arguments uh, concerns safety issues that are happening outside the classroom are being pulled into their sphere. We do have a dedicated um, partnership with POSH, which is the Professional Online Support Helpline. They have a sort of a backbone to TikTok's uh, trust and safety team. So if, as a teacher, you are experiencing uh, problems that you feel you're not able to um, manage on your own, I really recommend that resource as a, as a really great sort of interlocutor between us and teachers uh, who've got particular issues. So that's one thing I would say. But also... We did a piece of research with young people across the UK, Ireland, France, Germany and Italy. And we asked those young people what support they needed in the digital environment from their parents. And I think it applies as equally to to teachers. And my starting point for this was Mary Poppins. So in Mary Poppins, they need a nanny. Their kids are completely off the charts, you know, naughty and they uh, they need a new nanny. Mr. Banks sits down and writes this incredibly prescriptive list of what he would thinks is the perfect criteria for the perfect nanny. And then Jane and Michael go upstairs and think about what they want from a, their perfect nanny. And of course, the spoiler from that film is that um, the kids absolutely know their needs better than the adult assume needs. So how can we apply the Mary Poppins scenario to the online world? Um, so we asked young people what they wanted and they came up with five tips for parents that are really useful. The first one is help me understand the rules. So young people just need to know when they start a platform, like they just need a bit of help in the same way that when they might walk to school for the first time, you'll walk with them and explain to them how to sit, uh, walk at the crossing, what the red man means, what the green flashing man need, means, etc. They just want a bit of a, a starting point. And we have something called family pairing that's quite good for that moment. So it's a way of linking your account to your kids. And then you can make decisions collaboratively about their privacy settings and also how much time they spend on the platform, etc. The next one is be there for me when things go wrong. You talked a little bit about conversations and how what did teachers say to their students. You know, trust your instincts. Like as a parent or as a teacher, you know how to talk to a young person who's in crisis or is struggling or has a problem. One of the things that the kids said is, you know, don't shout. Really important. Like if they come to you and say, I've done something online, I I know as a parent that like, that moment is a sinking feeling because you don't quite know what it is and what the implications are. And you know that sometimes those implications can be really extreme. So that moment, you've got a really important opportunity to show that you're a, a useful resource to them saying, yeah, I'm an adult, I'm somebody who can help you navigate this problem and move towards solution. So one of the kids said that in that moment, one of the things they would really appreciate was a hug. And I thought, perfect. And I won't go through all five of them, but they are on our platform and we send them to every parent who connects using our family pairing to try and surface them. But the other one was, you know, I think also a little bit reassuring for teachers and for parents, which is trust me and respect my privacy. So we thought, I personally thought that if I shared that with parents, they'd be like, how dare you, you know, but actually, I think that sometimes when you've got a teen, there's a certain flatlining. Sometimes young people are accessing platforms too young, but also when it comes to teenagers, 
we're not doing a great job of applying the sort of levels of autonomy that of course every child and every teen is entitled to you know when my kids friends come over you know they all go to their room her room they chat they gossip they do whatever I don't sit with them that would be an invasion so how do I sort of emulate those kind of guardrails setting the guardrails being there as a resource making sure that every the kids my kids know that they can come to me and my head won't explode if they've done something that they regret online but you know that's a really long way of saying teachers do trust your teacher, brilliant teacher instincts when thinking about how you're supporting these young people. I feel like especially people, I guess like younger, older people, because I'm in that weird phase where like I'm an adult, but like I'm still kind of a child. So my question would be like, how as an older person on TikTok do you stay safe, especially regarding mental health? Because I know that people in my kind of age bracket it's more about kind of the addictive side of it, especially anxieties. And it's not even sometimes the people that are putting the content out. It's like an internal thing because you see so much and you start to internalise things. How do you kind of help the older people in TikTok and that type of sense? That is such a great question. And I think that applies to to me as well. I don't think that, I think that there are platforms that I use too much of. I'm not going to admit to them now, but um. I guess one of them that I will admit to is Pinterest, which is, um, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, gosh, I've also become a little bit weirdly addicted to any content relating to the Kardashians, which is really, <laughs> I watched, I watched so much stuff about Courtney's wedding. And I just thought, who am I and what is going on? <laughs> so I do totally recognize that sense of like, it's so easy that there is so little friction to picking up your phone, but then sometimes when you've picked it up and you've checked Instagram or Pinterest or whatever else for the billionth time in one day you just think you feel a bit directionless and it goes from being like fun to being making you feel a bit ick and I kind of sort of think about it in the same way as like eating fast food like it feels great but like there's a point at which like you just think I really wish I hadn't eaten all of my kids leftover chips as well as my own so I think that the answer is moderation which is a really boring old lady thing to say, but everything in moderation. So Princess, you've just really articulate, you've been quite articulate about how what you see can then have an impact on how you feel and how that sort of your mindset and the way that you're feeling in that moment will really strongly determine how you respond to it and how you feel about it, right? So what you're describing is something called agency. So agency is well known to being having a really positive impact on your well-being so if I feel a control even an iota of control over a situation that is you know this world is a world that seems to be happening to us a lot rather than something that we're driving right there is a real sense of just not being in the driving seat of your life at the moment and I do think that technology can really lean into that so what we're trying to do at TikTok is give people tools to feel empowered to Uh, express their sense of agency like I say that might be screen time tools it might be giving people information about it but also I would say that it's a good thing to get off your phones as well and to understand that that phone you're going to have a different response to what you're seeing whatever platform it is depending on your mental health and your state of mind so we have on our website and in our app as well a series of seven tips that we think will be helpful for encouraging mindful use of all technology, not just TikTok. And they are about intentional use. So the first two is like, what do I want to get out of this session? 
How long do I plan to stay on it? What am I hoping for? What are my expectations? So rather than just picking it up and just checking everything habitually, it's like, I want to go on Pinterest because I want to have some ideas for my new kitchen or I'm going out on Saturday night and I, um, you know, I want an outfit to wear and I'm interested to think about like where I can get it from. Yeah. I've got a half an hour. I've done my chores and that's how I'm going to, to use my time when I feel good about it. Yeah. And then there's a set of three questions around in the moment, like, are you doing what you said you were going to do? How's it making you feel? Is it still fun? Have you gone off piste, etc.? And then finally, there's some questions to ask yourself afterwards, like, how did that make me feel? Do I feel good about what I just did? Uh, what would I do differently next time? What have I learned? Now, I don't think that we should all be yo-yo dieting equivalents for digital technology. I think digital detoxes and all that kind of stuff are just sort of setting us all up to fail. Feast and famine, right? I've never understood how that's supposed to be a way of managing your life. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit of a challenging question, right? Which is, and it's a bit like what Princess said, oh gosh, you're doing all this amazing stuff and all this amazing work. And actually, you know, you know what? We hear that from all the companies. They're doing loads of amazing work. That's fantastic. And yet on the other side, what you get is media stories, research of the latest terrible content, right? You'll get a story about there's been some research done, maybe there's been a fake profile set up, and then they've discovered a load of hate content that's been pushed out on the platform. So how do we how do you square that? Right? You've got all this wonderful stuff that you're doing. And yet on the other hand, we do hear these stories which seem to be evidence-based about all the terrible stuff. How do you square that? Good question. So you know, as I say, we are a platform of a billion users. We are working 24-7-365 to make the platform as safe as it possibly can be. But we absolutely understand that there's no finish line and that sometimes we will make mistakes. To your point about platforms, warm words, and trying to reconcile that, I totally get that. I used to work for an NGO and transparency was one of the biggest calls that we would make. It's like, you're saying all these wonderful things, but does it work? What are your, you know, how effective is your strategy, et cetera? So we have something called our transparency reports, which are quarterly, and they will tell you how effective we have been in enforcing our community guidelines. Um, I don't have the figures across all of them, but for minor safety, we're always up somewhere around 98% plus in terms of proactive detection, which means that we've caught it before uh, it was reported to us and also around our 24-hour removal mark. So I do think that the transparency reports are um, a really effective tool and there is going to be increasing calls for us to explain how we're doing things and whether they're working, including how our algorithm works and, and everything else. So I think that it's really important in terms of accountability to be able to explain the efficacy of our strategy. Last year, for example, I led a global piece of research on online challenges and why young people participate in them, their awareness of teachers' readiness to discuss it and to be supportive and help their young people make good decisions, etc. This piece of research is really helpful in understanding developmentally why uh, risky behaviours might be hold a particular appeal to young people, but also lots of really good advice about how to talk to them. And we also have a dedicated online safety safety centre page on online challenges and at the bottom is a bit that says it's devoted to parents and teachers it says how to talk to young people about online challenges so you know we are not just waiting for people to um, surface problems on our platform we are aggressively and proactively interrogating them ourselves that's that's great to know and I'm sure we can include those links 
in um, the show notes, right? That's how you describe it, isn't it? Show notes. Oh, a show note. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I know. But can it's I give a show note as well, if that's all right? Yeah, go for it. My show note for your teachers is, if you're not on TikTok, please do get on it. And I promise you, this is not me trying to plug more, you know, uh, users on TikTok. I really think that some of the the worries that people have about TikTok are about just not understanding how the platform works and what it does. And I know from my own personal experience and also from, you know, the discussions we've had with teachers and parents, the thing that's most likely to make somebody feel more confident and uh, happy about their kid being on TikTok is going onto TikTok yourself, because it means that the actual experience of being on TikTok is is less less worrying or troublesome than than it is imagined through perhaps the media reports that you see. So, do get onto TikTok. You know, you don't have to post, you don't have to become um, our biggest fan, but take a look at it, see how the for you page is working for you. Look at the privacy settings, because if you understand them, you can also explain them to young people as well. Although, of course, theirs will be sort of default different to yours. But just kick the tyres. That would be my show note. Your top tip. It's gone so fast. It's been so fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you no, for you're coming. very welcome. Thank you for, for coming and joining us on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So... That was Alexandra Evans, TikTok Europe's Head of Safety. What did we think of all of that conversation? Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. And and clearly, there's a lot going on at TikTok to improve user safety and, by extension, uh, safety of children as well. I guess the thing that, that gets me is that you can put all these features in place, but it's still really important for children and young people to understand positive and safe use of, of online platforms you know you can have all the safety tools in the world but if if people don't understand how to consider their own behavior and the behavior of others I, I don't know if they they mean that much so so it's really welcome to see but I think the role of education in this should never be sort of under under I can't think of the right word now so it's Monday morning whatever the word is right yeah we got whatever it. that word is it. yes <laughs> undervalued (laughs) is probably the word I was looking for I agree with Gareth I feel like you can really implement all of these safety measures but it's about how people use them to be honest I didn't even know about any of any safety measures on TikTok or really any social media apps except for block and I don't know if people would go out of their way to implement them because in a way it also takes away the enjoyment of the app it's normally scandalous stuff on the app that gets people you know talking oh my gosh did you see that so I'm not really sure if you know young people would really want to take advantage of those safety regulations because you just don't get the same app you don't get the same feel of it anyway you make such a good point there right it's it's all about what we're looking for when we go online, right? What are our personal drivers, our motivations? And that's where we need to get to, isn't it? In terms of the education, is supporting young people in terms of their own self-awareness. Why am I on this? Who am I following? Why am I following these people? And thinking about providing yourself with a safe space. So absolutely fascinating. I mean, my thoughts on it were, I was really struck by the description of this as an entertainment app and not a social media app, right? I was like, you are so right. So who are TikTok's competitors? And I think that's a really key question for us because I'm thinking, oh, it's Snapchat. But actually, it's like Netflix. It's like Google. It's That's what I'm reading anyway and hearing about is it's the new place to go when you're looking for something. It's the platform of influence, you know, and that to me is a big question. It's probably also worth talking about the algorithm because that's what everybody says is TikTok's secret sauce. It right? really is. <laughs> 
It really is. Yeah, yeah, it is, right? Is that what you find? You find that for some reason on TikTok, you get exactly what you want? It is the craziest thing. Like I'll literally be talking about something. I open the app and it's there. And the more you interact with, you know, certain posts, the more you get, like, for example, even now, like touching on what you said about um, TikTok being Netflix biggest competitor, you know, you can watch episodes of shows on TikTok full episode it is really crazy that this app is not just kind of social media it is really entertainment so when I go there and I've interacted with certain posts about maybe childhood um shows I used to watch an episode will come up on my feed which is so crazy to me I mean I enjoy it though because it's you know I I like but the algorithm really knows it really knows what you want and it will give it to you Obviously, it's the same on things like YouTube and maybe no surprise that YouTube has started to adopt some more TikTok-like features like YouTube Shorts, for example. It's basically TikTok, isn't it? And they've just kind of introduced it on the service in the last year or so. But it, I often look at it as like being a bit like a magic trick. This whole idea of like when you go and see a magician, even if you know how the magician's exactly doing the trick, you kind of suspend your disbelief, don't you, for the enjoyment of the trick. And I think that's the same with algorithms online, is that the more you know about it, the more you can choose to engage with it in a way that you enjoy, but you're not thinking it's some kind of weird magic that's kind of controlling your choices and your thoughts and what you see and do online. You still maintain that control and you can kind of enjoy it in the way that you want to. But in order to do that, you need to understand how it works. And I think that's the key thing, is that we need to help children, and in fact all online users, recognise what algorithms are and how they work and how they do drive our choices Quite often to things we already like, but also sometimes towards things that, that maybe we didn't expect. I think it also raises the rather tricky question that no one can ever answer these days about platforms like TikTok. Are they a publisher? Are they the editor? Are they just a place where people upload their stuff? And so if you stick something on TikTok, you know, it's your responsibility for what you uploaded rather than TikToks. There's kind of a, quite a blurry line there that we've, we've never quite sort of figured out. Um, listen, so we, we've kicked off, right? We've had back-to-back episodes on navigating social media uh, with a particular focus on TikTok. And I really hope they've been useful. Thank you so much for being with us. You will always find links in the show notes of the episodes uh, to places online where you can read and find out more about what we've been talking about and sources of support as well. On our next episode, we've got expert advice on handling harmful sexual behaviours. It's more common in school than you might think. We'll be talking about what harmful sexual behaviour actually is and about setting up a safe school environment and about responding if you get a report of harmful sexual behaviour. We'll signpost you to some brilliant resources to help you get advice and help, including our Harmful Sexual Behaviour Support Service, which is specifically for teachers and professionals working with young people. Thank you for listening to Interface. If you haven't already listened to episode one with Bobby Seagull, please do go and find that in your feed. He's uh, so enthusiastic and uh, an absolute pleasure to, to chat with and listen to as well. Please subscribe so that episodes are magically downloaded to your device whenever they get released. And we need your help. The more people that listen to Interface, the more chance we've got of being able to keep sharing the advice and support as we do. So please recommend us to a friend or a fellow teacher or educator. And you can also find us on social media at SWGFL underscore official on both Twitter and Instagram. Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre.
We've been Jess Macbeth, Gareth Cool, and Princess Abel. Interface is produced by Karis Wool with sound design by Joel Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a bespoken media production. Produced by Bespoken Media.